faith is powerful. My guess is that you've probably known someone who you've looked at them and like, man, they've got such a powerful, strong faith. Like, that's amazing. Or maybe you've seen or heard stories of people who had faith in something and, or believed something and just powerfully that something happened. Maybe it was even miraculous. Maybe you have even experienced this in your own life. This faith is, is, is powerful. But faith doesn't always feel powerful. And sometimes, sometimes we feel really weak with our faith. And sometimes we have a mountain in front of us and it doesn't want to budge whatsoever. And so... Today, we're going to think about these mountains and think about how faith works and wrestle with, okay, how do we really have that powerful faith? How does faith really work? How do I have mountain-moving faith? The lesson we have it comes from Matthew chapter 17, it's verses 19 to 20. It says, Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, our lesson today, it comes from the later part of Jesus' ministry after a pretty significant uh, event that we call the transfiguration. So that's where Jesus was up on this mountain with kind of his inner circle of disciples. And up there, the, the, the veil is pulled back a bit and his glory of God just shines through to show that he's not just a man. He's fully man, but he's also fully God. And, and his disciples got this little sneak peek. They also saw Moses and Elijah were there. It's an incredible event. Well, they come down from the transfiguration and they come down to find a bit, find a bit of commotion because there is this man who has this son who is possessed by a demon. And these terrible things are happening. I mean, not only is he just possessed by a demon, but the demon's like throwing him into the fire and in the water and just trying to hurt the boy. I mean, it's just this awful. I can't, as a father, cannot even imagine what an awful thing this was. Well, he had gone to the disciples to ask the disciples to drive this demon out, and they couldn't do it. They, they ran into this obstacle. The demon is still there. And so then he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus to do it. Jesus gives this kind of harsh rebuke of all the people there. And then he goes and he drives a demon out of the boy. And the boy is healed. And our lesson today is when the disciples come to Jesus in private and they ask, why couldn't we drive it out? Now, if you're just diving into this verse and not looking at the bigger context, you might go, why do they even think they could drive it out? Because I don't usually think of like my skill set as like, okay, preacher, whatever, whatever, demon driver outer. Like I just not usually come up, coming up for me. But we have to realize that for the disciples, Jesus had actually earlier in the book given them the specific task of going out and driving out demons. He had authorized them to go and to do this. And they had. They went all around and they were driving out demons, healing the sick, doing incredible things. And so it makes sense that the guy would ask them to drive the, the demon out. And it makes sense that they would think that they could do it. And actually, it's a very good question. Why were we able to drive out the other demons? What happened with this one? And then Jesus, he responds. He replied, because you have so little faith. Now, the phrase, so little faith, we're going to need to dig into this a little bit. First of all, I'll just talk about what faith is. Faith is not something that, it's not a power we conjure up in ourselves. It's not a sense that things are just going to be okay. It's definitely not a feeling. 
A lot of times today, people, we love to talk about feelings. I just have a feeling it's going it's to, it's not a feeling. That's not primarily what it is. That's not what it is. Feelings might come from it, but that's not really what it is. Faith, by definition, at its core, is being persuaded of something. So you're being persuaded that something is true, or someone is true, or someone is able. That there's a truth, and that, well, this now penetrates your mind, and you're persuaded that this is truth, that this is reality. So that's the word faith, but there's a bit more digging we need to do here, because this is a verse that has something in it that, uh, that is a, a, something that needs unpacking with Scripture. It's something that's called a textual variant. Okay? So this is one of those things that on a surface level, sometimes people hear about it and it makes them a little bit nervous about the Bible. But actually, as you dig into it, it's one of those things that's, it, it actually adds, adds layers to the Bible, and it's a very, very interesting and cool thing. So when we talk about the original languages that it was translated from, we need to remember that it's not just that there's one manuscript like in a box somewhere that everybody is translating from. God used humans, God used real people, and worked in very real ways to spread the Bible around. And so what did they do? They took manuscripts that were there, and they copied them. And then they sent them places, and then people copied them, and then they hand-copied them and spread them all over to where there are thousands of biblical manuscripts. And I mean, and it's really, it's remarkable. If you look at other writings from that time, ones that people talk about, you know, or from, from that time period, they talk about, you know, Greek writings or so on. The number of write, uh, copies of those that they have compared to what we have the Bible is minute. The amount of copies of manuscripts we have from the Bible is amazing. And it's one of the great evidences for the authority of the Bible. But what do you think happened when people copied and made hand copies and hand copies and hand copies? There ends up being these little variants where someone copied something a little bit differently or wrote a different word here or a different word there. Now, the amazing thing, God allowed the Bible to be spread around. He had it spread around in a very human way where people are writing it, but he also kind of kept things in check. None of these variants affect any of the core teachings of the Bible. And actually, when we dig into these variants, often we can tell what was the original and what was the variant. Because say, for instance, if you look at, and there's, a, there's one manuscript that has this word and other ones have this word, if you can trace that all the ones that have this word actually were originally out of like Alexandria, what would probably happen? It meant probably somebody in Alexandria made a little tweak, wrote it wrong, and then everybody made copies based off of that. So you can often, you can figure out okay, really what the original is. This one is a bit more complex. I looked at the evidence for two different words. So there's one reading that says little faith. The other reading says because you have no faith. And I looked at them both, I researched them both, and I've found some people who were really strong with saying little faith is the way to go, and there's other people who are very convinced that no faith is the way to go. I looked and I saw that the evidence both directions was pretty compelling. And so I'm not exactly sure. And while that might seem a little strange, the reality is what I've come to see, and, and I'm inviting you to, to, to consider this as well, is actually the existence of both of these words can help give depth to our understanding of what's going on here. Well, Pastor, well, how so? If we're thinking about two different words, is it little faith or no faith? Doesn't it make a big difference? Well, if we step back and zoom out a bit, we can get a better appreciation of what faith is and what exactly is going on here. If we zoom out and, and, and look at the topic of faith, especially as it's presented in Matthew. As I was reviewing Matthew this week, as I'm reading through the gospel, um, I was going through and I was struck 
by, you know, it's one of those things like until you are really looking for something, you don't always notice it a lot. You know, it's kind of like when you buy a car and then you realize everybody has that car. You know, same sort of thing this week. I'm reading through the, the Gospel of Matthew, and I realized that the theme of faith and faith being powerful is a recurrent theme over and over again in Matthew. It's one of the main themes in the Gospel. Let's just look at some of the examples. And first, we're going to start with themes, uh, uh, examples of the Gospel being really, of faith being really powerful. So after Jesus has the Sermon on the Mount, and we're transitioning now to Matthew, where now we're seeing more of the various things he does in his ministry. One of the first stories is of a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion who comes to Jesus. He's got a, got a servant who's sick, and he asks Jesus to heal him. And, and he, he tells Jesus, you don't even have to come. I know how it works. I'm, a, I'm in charge of people. I tell people to go and to do this, and they do it. All you got to do is say the word, and it's going to be done. And Jesus marvels. He goes, I've not seen as great a faith as this in all of Israel. It is, it's going to be done. God's servants heal. Okay? This is, this is the one example. Another example, we have these couple of blind men. And they say, Jesus, son of David, which right away is a great expression of faith because they're expressing that they see him as the promised descendant of David, the Messiah. They ask him to heal, to heal them, to give them sight. And Jesus says, do you believe that I can do this? And they said, yeah. And Jesus says, well, according to your faith, it will be done. We have another example of, uh, and this is not all the examples, by the way. These are, I'm just going through four of them here of a woman who had been plagued with this flow of blood for over a decade. And she finds out Jesus is coming through. And she is convinced that if I just touch his cloak, then I'm going to be healed. And she does. He's going through. He's actually en route to go heal the little girl. And in the process, she reaches, he touches his, his robe. Instantly, she's healed. Jesus goes, I felt power go out from me. He stops, talks to her, and he talks about how her faith made her well. Or later on in the book of Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, we have an account of a, of a woman who's actually not part of the Jewish people, and there's this interesting interplay with her as, as she has a daughter who's sick, Jesus, or she reaches out to Jesus. Jesus actually kind of ignores her at first, and he doesn't seem that he really, it's kind of like a little test. It's this interesting interplay where she's like, where he's like, I didn't come for all the other people right now. My ministry is focused on the Jewish people. And she's like, hey, she uses this, this phrase, like even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. Like, come on. She has incredible expression of faith. And Jesus says, your faith, according to your faith, she's going to be healed. And we have these examples of where people were in a dire situation had a mass, massive problem, a mountain in front of them, whether it be a servant who was sick or blindness or a flow of blood that had been happening for over a decade or a little girl looks like she's going to die. And when they heard about Jesus, they were persuaded that he was powerful enough to do something about it. And because they were persuaded that he was powerful enough to do something about it and because they were persuaded that he was good enough and was there to do something about it, that he loved people enough to do something about it, they went to him fully in faith, and they saw the results. They had faith that were, was moving mountains. They experienced healing, 
blindness removed, incredible, powerful things. So those are the positive examples. But we also have negative examples in Matthew. For instance, when Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount and he's doing that, that well-known part about don't worry about tomorrow and he talks about seeking first the kingdom of God and he says you don't have to worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat. You don't have to go after those things. Within that whole sermon, you know what he calls the people? He says, you of little faith. And what he's talking about is how when we're faced with all these things that, that we need, Instead of being persuaded that God's going to provide for them, we see that mountain and we start to get nervous and worried because we're not sure we're going to be able to move it. You have a little faith. Seek first the kingdom of God. He's going to take care of these things. Or you have the example of when Jesus is asleep in a boat with his disciples. I love this. Like Jesus, Jesus' disciples are out in there in a boat. It's storming, and Jesus is crashed out. First of all, I love that because if God himself, when he's a human, gets wiped out and needs to sleep hard at night, it makes me feel better when I'm totally exhausted at the end of the day because of my five-year-old. You know what I mean? Like just like makes me feel a little better about this. But then they go, and this one is intriguing because they, they actually they, they wake him up and ask him to save them. So they're, they're persuaded that he can do something about the storm. But as they ask him, they're, they're showing that they're not really persuaded that he cares enough to do anything about the storm. So it's one thing to, to be persuaded that he's powerful enough. It's another thing to be persuaded that he cares enough to do something about it. And so Jesus calls him little faith. You have the example of Peter. When another storm, Jesus' disciples out on the boat, another storm, Jesus comes walking towards the boat. The disciples freak out. They think it's a ghost. And then Jesus is like, no, it's not a ghost, it's me. And then Peter does this just audacious thing where he, he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you. Like, I remember when I first realized that walking on water was Peter's idea. Like, what a crazy man, you know? Like, like hey, a moment ago I thought you were a ghost. Now you say you're Jesus. Tell me to get out of the boat. Like, wow, like incredible faith. But then when he gets out, he walks around for a while, but then he sinks. When he get into the boat, Jesus calls him little faith. And we also have the example later on in the gospel where Jesus is, is traveling with his disciples. Then he tells them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. And he's using it as an illustration for the, 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 the small, like yeast, how it's that small thing, but then it grows and grows and grows. And there's this self-righteousness with the Pharisees. There's trying to, to please people instead of pleasing God. And he's telling them to watch out for that. And his disciples are like, did he tell us about the yeast because we didn't bring any bread? And which I can just understand Jesus' frustration because he had already, by this point, he fed 5,000 at one point and 4,000. If I was Jesus, I'd be like, guys, do you not get that I am not concerned about not having bread? Like, this is not a problem for me, okay? This is, this is not a situation. But instead of being persuaded that, that Jesus didn't have to be worried about bread, instead they were concerned with, oh, what, oh, we, what did we do wrong? What did we do wrong? How did we mess up? These negative examples of faith give us some insight to what's going on in our lesson, especially as we see how they contrast with those good ones. Those good ones, we have those, those people who have an issue. They hear that Jesus is there. They're persuaded he can do something about it, and so they go to him expecting him to do something about it. With these, we have situations where people are faced with a mountain, and instead of being persuaded that God can do something about it or that he wants to, 
They are focused on the mountain. And perhaps it's the one with Peter that's the, the, the most insightful, that gives us the best understanding with this. Because I just, the, the whole thing with Peter, I, I think sometimes we get really, we can jump to the fact, well, you know, Peter sank. You know, even when I looked up the, the, the pictures for this, the story, the section was called there. It said, when Peter tried to walk on water. That's bogus. That's not true. Peter didn't try to walk on water. He walked on water. Like, it, the, the Greek says that he walked around on the water. Like, he didn't just, like, take a step. He didn't just dip his toes in. Like, the man did something incredible. But then he looked at the wind and the waves, and then he sang. And that gives us the insight. Jesus, I mean, he doesn't just call him little faith. He says, why did you doubt? And the word doubting here talks about a double stance. It's shifting between one position to the other. So in one moment, Peter had incredible faith. If it's Jesus and Jesus can walk on water, then I can walk on water. You know, he has incredible faith. One moment he's there, but then something caught his attention, the wind and the waves. And instead of being persuaded that if Jesus can walk on water, he could walk on water. He stopped being persuaded of that and became focused on the mountain, the wind and the waves. And then he began to sink. When you think about this, when you think about how this all happened here, how we made that shift, it helps us understand what's going on with our lesson. Remember, Jesus' disciples had been driving out demons. They had been doing it. But then apparently there was something about this demon, I don't know if it was more intense or just a stronger one or what it was, but they had difficulty with it. And they shifted from thinking that they could be people who drive out demons to seeing that this demon was not going to come out by them. Instead of being persuaded that God could drive out this demon through them, they began to be focused on the mountain, this demon in front of them to fear and to worry that they were not capable of getting it out. And so they weren't. When you look at these two phrases, little faith, small faith, the word little, it can refer to small, to, but to, to few or to short. Peter had faith for a bit, and then he shifted to not having faith that Jesus could keep him above the water. Not that he lost his faith totally, but he shifted away from believing what Jesus could do about this. He shifted from believing to not believing it. The disciples were believing that Jesus could, that God gave them the power, that Jesus gave them the power to drive out demons. And then when they were confronted with this, they shifted. They had little faith, which meant shifting from believing to not believing he could do something about it. Both these words, when you put them together, they help us actually better understand What's going on here? They ran into a mountain and shifted from believing that God gave them the power to move that mountain to being to instead focusing on that mountain and becoming convinced that they were not able to move it. They shifted from that belief to the unbelief. Not that they lost their faith, but about that mountain. Their eyes went off of Jesus to the mountain and to their inability to move it. If you think about the disciples, I got to say that I see myself in the disciples, and maybe you do too. Sometimes 
my faith is powerful. And I'm like, man, I believe that God can do anything through me and this is going to happen and this is good. But then sometimes I get going and then all these things start going wrong and I shift very quickly. Not that I lost my faith, but I shift to seeing this mountain as something that I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm going to have enough ability to do this. I don't know if I'm going to have the money to pay for that. I don't know if I'm going to have it. And I I shift from being persuaded that he can do anything to being afraid because I feel like I can't do this. And maybe that's you too. And maybe it's, it's something that happens in big ways. Maybe it happens in really subtle ways where maybe when something big happens, maybe we don't do like the disciples did where we try to move it, but maybe we even shift right away where we don't even try it. I realized uh, when I was so, so, many of you don't know, so my mom passed away from cancer, it'll be 11 years ago on October 6th, okay? And when she got her cancer. One of the things I realized after she passed away, looking back as a pastor and studying prayer and studying God's word, I realized there was something I didn't do. And I'm not telling you this because I don't feel guilty about this. Like, don't, don't pity Pastor A because I'm telling you this. I'm just realizing this is something I didn't do. I never prayed, God, would you miraculously take the cancer away? I never prayed that. I prayed, God, would you guide the doctors? God, would the chemo work? But my mind... Growing up the way I did, a Christian guy, my mind didn't go. To, we weren't miracle-believing. We weren't like a miracle-believing church. We didn't really go there. It was like, pray for the doctors to work. That's how God works today. And I realized, why? Why did I not do that? God has the power. He could have. I'm not blaming him. Like, like I said, don't feel bad for him. I'm just saying, often, when these big things come up, we can very quickly shift away from, you know, God could do anything. Like, even... Have you, I've been praying with COVID. Like, you know what? God could just make it go away, make COVID go away. He could. We should pray for that. Why not? He can. But when those mountains come up, how quickly do we shift from thinking, you know what? God can move anything to maybe not. And get freaking out because, man, there's a mountain here and I don't know what to do about it. But, you know, this lesson is not here to just beat us up for those times that we shift and get freaked out about the mountain. It's here to encourage us to see how we get to have mountain-moving faith and to give us confidence that we have that faith. Jesus, he, he says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Jesus loves this mountain. There's this mustard seed picture. It's a picture he used earlier in the gospel. In chapter 13, he used it as a picture of the kingdom of God. He talks about how the mustard seed is the smallest of seeds. I don't know a lot about mustard seeds. Basically, everything I know about mustard seeds, I learned from Jesus. That's probably a pretty good source, though, I suppose. Jesus knows what he's talking about. The mustard seed being tiny, smallest of all seeds, and yet God can work big things out of it. And he uses that picture here, too. You can have the smallest of faith, and yet big things can come from it. Well, how can such powerful things come from such little faith? I mean, usually when we think of powerful faith, we think of that person who's got that bold faith, they do that big thing. What is Jesus trying to communicate to us here? Well, remember what faith is. Faith is not a power we work up in ourselves. It's not something we conjure up. It's not a feeling. It's not a sense that things are going to work out. Faith, at its core, is about being persuaded of something or someone, which means faith is not ultimately about the person having the faith. It's about who your faith is in. 
The Christian faith is not about us having a strong enough faith. It's about the one that we have faith in being strong enough to do anything. What Jesus is bringing out is that when you face that mountain, it's not about you and the size of your faith. It's about me. It's about Jesus and the fact that he is able to do anything. The Christian faith where the power comes is not because we believe it enough or we feel it enough or strong. It's not about us. It's never been about us. None of it is about us. It's always about the fact that he is powerful enough to do what we need and that he is good enough to do what we need. That's what the core of the gospel is, right? Isn't the core of the gospel the fact that God saw that we are incapable of setting ourselves right with him, of setting the world right, that as a matter of fact, we contribute to what makes the world broken instead of fixing it. And so God said, I'm going to do it for you. That's the gospel, right? Jesus said, I'm going to live the life that you can't live. I'm going to die the death that you deserve to die as, as justice for all the things you've ever done wrong. I'm going to do all this for you so you can be forgiven. I'm going to rise again so you could have new life. I'm going to do all these things so you can be right with God and you can have eternity. It's all about what he does for you and through you. If we believe in Jesus and we're here today to celebrate what we believe, that we have faith in him, then we have faith that is mountain-moving. Because that means we have faith in the one who is powerful enough to move every mountain. He's moved the mountain of our sin. And he will move the mountain of our death because we're going to have eternity with him. He moves all the mountains. He moves all the mountains in front of us that he sees that need to be moved. We get to have mountain-moving faith. We have it. We believe in Jesus. We have it. It's there. Because our faith isn't about us being strong enough going forward. It's about him and everything that comes ahead, that he's got it. It's all in his hands. Which is why Jesus can say to us, and says to his disciples, nothing will be impossible for you. He's speaking specifically to them about that context of them sharing this and doing this and driving out demons, but it also is an application for all of us. Nothing will be impossible for you. And that word impossible, it's that word that the, the root of it, again, it's, it's where we get the, the, the word dynamite from. This has come up a few times in lessons recently. It's all about power. He, he says that nothing will come up where you don't have the power, where you have not been given the power to do it. A while back, we had a lesson. We talked, we asked the question, what can't God do? God, the only thing that God can't do is that he, basically God can't fail. That's the only thing. God can't fail, he can't lie. God is able, he's so able to do everything that the one thing he can't do is not do what he says he's going to do. I know it's complicated, but God's able to do anything. The power is there. And so Jesus would have us step into it and to embrace this faith that we've been given. So I wanted, I wanted to share with you, this. Some, I don't do this a lot, but I want to share with you an exercise that's been helpful for me. I don't share this a lot because I really, I, I don't want to point to these are things that pastor is doing in his life. Um, but I found this really helpful, so I thought it would only be right for me to share it. So I just want to share this with you as I've been thinking about this lesson this week. Is I have found that often when there's a mountain in front of me, when I find something that I'm stressed out about or anxious about and so on, and if I just try to tell myself, okay, you know, God's going to work it through what he's going to get it, I tend to still, I, I just tend to go back to do I feel like it's going to work out. 
I tend to go to my feelings. I don't know why, it's just what I do. Do I feel good about this? Do I feel it's going to work? And so what, I, what I've been doing to try to counter that is stopping and stop looking at the mountain and how I feel, I'm, whether or not I feel like I'm going to be able to move it or not. And what I've been stopping and I've been doing is then redirecting my, my gaze back to Jesus. And then I ask a very simple yes or no question. Is Jesus capable of moving this mountain? Yes or no? Well, yes. Okay, there it is. Not, no, 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 no messing, no. Is, is he able to do this? Yes or no? It's not, do I feel like I can? Do I feel strong? No. Is he able to do this? Yes. Is he for me? Does he love me? And is he doing it? Yes. All right, then. Let's go. I just found that's in a simple exercise for me to just take my eyes away from the mountain and put them back on the God who created the mountain and say, is he able to move it or not? The answer is yes. Okay. Well, then let's do it. Let's have that mountain moving faith and let's go. Now, there's one thing that we got to realize when we talk about this, that that is, that is important because you might go, okay, pastor, does that mean that everything coming up in front of me, every mountain is going to move right out of my way? Well, no. It doesn't move that every, mean that every mountain is going to move. This verse says that the power is there. Every mountain in front of you can be moved. God is powerful enough to do it. But having the power is not the same as always using the power. And part of being persuaded that Jesus is God and that he's able to do it is also that he's able to know when he should do it and when he shouldn't. That he's able to know how to work this all out according to a plan. It's, it, it's partly, it, it's being convinced of what we talked about last week when he asked what is God really up to and we, we were talking about the plans of God and how, you know, God didn't break the world. The world is broken. We, we, we contribute to making it broken, but what he's doing is weaving it all back together. And he's restoring what was lost. He's bringing healing to what was lost. It doesn't often look like he's weaving it back together. I mean, the greatest thing he ever did was have an innocent man die on a bloody nasty cross. That doesn't look good. But what he does is he works through these things to weave things back together. And part of being persuaded that Jesus is able is also being persuaded that he knows what he's doing. And so sometimes he will move the mountain, sometimes he won't. But it's never because he can't. And it's never because the power isn't there. So how do we know when he's going to move the mountain? How do we, well, one thing we can do, one incredible gift we have is that we have the gift of, of prayer. And what I put up here for you is, is one of the definitions in, in, when, in the resources that I use when I'm studying the scripture lessons. Uh, one of the definitions for prayer because I found that my understanding of prayer growing up was, was too limited. I thought of prayer as just, this is basically when I go and I list to God what I would like God to do, and then I say, your will be done, knowing that he may or may not do it, and then I say, amen. Well, look at this definition. It says, to exchange wishes or to pray, because the word really talks about it, it's, it's giving something and then expecting something in return. Okay? Literally, to interact with the Lord by switching human, human wishes, human ideas, for his wishes as he imparts faith, divine persuasion. Accordingly, praying, then that's the Greek word, prosokomai, is closely interconnected with pistis, so that's the word faith. 
In other words, what, what is that saying is that when, when you bring your needs and wants before God, you're also considering what God wants. And what you are thinking how things should go encounter what God is thinking about how things should go. Think about the way you start the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It doesn't come at the end, it comes at the beginning. Right? Jesus teaches us at the beginning to consider, first and foremost, what's gonna, how is God going to bring his kingdom forward? And how is his will going to be done? And it's amazing how when we start there, the amount of clarity. I don't know how many prayers I brought before God. I was going to ask him for something. And I started praying for his kingdom to come to will be done. And I changed my prayer partways through the prayer. Because I realized, I'm like, you know what? Maybe. This is happening a lot with COVID. Like, I'd be like, God, make, can you just make it go away? And then I stopped. I'm like, ah. But if this is what it takes to achieve your purpose, then let it stay. And I changed partways through. If this is what it takes, okay. And it's amazing how much clarity we can have when, when we go and we pray and we consider God's will and his kingdom. Now, do we get clarity on every choice or decision? No. Not necessarily. Will we get any clarity on them? No. But as Christians, there are some things that we do know for sure God's will is to be done. And we can use this yes or no thing with that too. Does God, do I know for sure it's God's will that I, you know, make this business transaction? Yes or no? No, I don't know for sure. That might be one of those things where maybe he doesn't move the, the mountain. Do I know for sure that God wants me to make this move or to do this? Yes or no? No, I don't know for sure. Those are things that I don't know for sure. But there are some things that I do know for sure. I do know that Jesus did lay down his life and die for me on the cross. So every time sin is the mountain, I know He's going to move it. He's going to provide the way out like we talked about a few weeks ago. I do know every time I pray for forgiveness, he's going to forgive me and that mountain's going to be moved. I do know that no matter what comes my way, nothing's going to pluck me out of his hand. I do know that. And I can pray with confidence. You know what? That mountain, if it comes up, is going to get out of my way. The mountain of death is going to be out of my way because I'm going to be with him. There are things that you know he's going to move that mountain. And there's even promises he makes for your life. That you know. Like Romans 8, 28, he's going to work all things for the good of those who love him. I love to take the promises of God and pray them back to him. God, you said you're going to work this all for my good, so do it. Amen. <laughs> it's amazing when you can take a promise of God. God, you pray that you're going to carry this work on to completion. That you're not going to give up what you're doing in me. And you're going to keep doing it until Jesus returns. So do it. Amen. There are certain things we know that he's going to move that mountain. Other things, do we know for sure? I don't know for sure. But there are plenty of things that we do know for sure. And we get to take hold of those things. And we get to have confidence going forward. Not that we're always going to have a strong faith and not that we're always going to, to be, be fixed on Jesus and not the mountain. But our faith isn't about us. It's about the fact that Jesus died for us and his blood will continue to wash away our sins. God will continue to love us. He will continue to send his spirit to work in us. And as the spirit works in us, we can step forward and take our eyes off the mountain and put them back on the Savior and know that it's not about us and how big and powerful we are, but it's about who our faith is in. And this is the God. The one we believe in is the one 
who can move mountains. He can do it. He loves us. He is for us. He can do it. That's how we have mountain-moving faith.